Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP practitioner course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. What's up, my friends? Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning, and we are ready to rock. Hope you had a great week so far. You're out there driving, entrepreneuring. That's a new word. And because you're looking for more success, you're creating more success, um, that's why you come to the show. I know that's why you're here because you're going into your weekend. You're thinking, man, how can I take my business to the next level? How can I get into a business for the first time? How can I get this whole entrepreneur puzzle figured out? Well, a massive part of that is what that online presence looks like. Um, and it's not just social media and whatnot, but specifically I'm talking about, do you have good video of yourself up? Do you have good photos of yourself up? Video is something that, you know, it, it, it's come huge, of course, in the last decade or so. And, you know, podcasts and radios are jumping back in the game, which is great. But video is holding strong. YouTube is the number one search engine behind Google, and they're owned by the same company anyway. You got to be out there with good, compelling video content. So I scoured the earth to find my guest this week. His name is Travis Chambers. He was a Forbes 30 under 30 and the founder of Chamber.media. Um, it's a 30-person growth and video agency. He does social videos. And his agency has tripled revenue of a $4 million D, uh, DTC companies. He's driven $300 million in tracked revenue and garnered more than 400 million views across Facebook and Google channels for his clients. Uh, he's the keynote speaker at Google Growth Summit, VidCon, and uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He's been in Inc., he's been an entrepreneur, Adweek, Huffington Post, and everywhere you, you see articles, you'll find Travis Chambers. The most interesting thing I want to get into today is he led the content strategy and distribution for YouTube's number one ad of the decade, the Kobe versus Messi, at 140 million views. And it took the company Old Navy from two to eight million Facebook likes just like that because of great video. So without any further ado, let's get into the world of video entrepreneurship with Travis Chambers. Are you there, my friend? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here and ready to rock. Yeah, you are. You're in the sound dungeon, you told me. We're, we're seeing a little video of that place. I could see some guitars in the background. You got Welcome your mic set up. Sound dungeon! <laughs> I would like it. Dude, I love this, man. So, uh, so let's get into, before we get to the video you know, work and, and all of that, you obviously, you know, we've been kind of uh, rapping and talking for the last few minutes as we're getting set up and ready. You seem like a pretty cool guy. Um, great personality. Have you always been in this kind of PR media, like person people business? Did you know you were always going to be in a people style business? 
or is that something that you fell into sort of later into life? What, what was your career trajectory if there was one earlier on? Yeah, you know, I was always a people person since I got beat up in fifth grade by a fourth grader. Um, you know, I I was thought I was pretty tough until then. And then then I realized you gotta you gotta be charismatic and make friends, you know, being an undersized kid. <laughs> I'm just that that was if we're going real far back, but let's do it. Um, but yeah, I mean in college I was gonna go kind of climb the ladder, the corporate ladder. That's what my dad did at Monsanto. He built the Roundup brand, which is a pretty wild story. Um, wow, that is a pretty wild story and very controversial at this point in life, too. Yeah, he's got Parkinson's and he's had two types of cancer from it. Um, oh, wow. Pretty, pretty crazy. He worked his way up from like a regional salesman showing farmers how to use it all the way up to a senior director. And he was like the national sales director. And yeah, it's it's pretty crazy story. But I was in a lot of those um, like conference calls and stuff that he was on and a lot of his sales calls. So that's where I got a lot of my education. And then I, w- I was going to go kind of the corporate route. And I was in the journalism school at some random, pretty random agricultural school, Utah State, um, not not really known for advertising. <laughs> uh and I just realized journalism was dead. You know, this was like 2009. And that's when I really turned on to digital marketing and, um, and really focused in on that. And I'm really glad I did. Because at that time, um, you probably remember, at that time, only 2% of all advertising media spend in the United States was digital. And now, uh, as of last year, it's over 50%. And then just last month, um, consumption on, on, of tel- like television and just media in general just went over uh, 50% on, on the internet. So there's more people consuming content now on the internet than on, you know, satellite. So man, I wish we could tell every business owner in 1994, this thing that this interweb thing is going to be bigger than you think. So mm-hmm. we're more than 50% of ads, more than 50% of the, the general consumption. And I think, it, and, and that's across the board, right? That takes in, you know, small rural towns that takes in different industries that are, you know, like agricultural that are um, uh, not necessarily digitized, so to speak. And then it also takes into account Netflix and, 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 and content like that. So for us, I, I think the average company, uh, you know, especially if you listen to the show right now, could easily be doing, what, would you say, like upwards 80% plus maybe even of, uh, of their advertising and of their client acquisition could be for some companies? How big could, the, could their media percentage be that's online? Yeah, um, I could just tell you based on the companies we've oh, let's worked do that. with, I could tell you this pretty, pretty actually pretty... Uh, in a pretty quantitative way. So we've worked with probably about a hundred different brands and I'd say the size where they usually start doing TV is around that 30 to 50 million mark. Most of them. 30 to 50 million in gross revenue and your annual revenue. Most of them can get to 30, 50 million in revenue with no traditional ad spend whatsoever. So we're talking Amazon search affiliates, uh, social ads, um, online retailers, you know, walmart.com, Wayfair. That's the trajectory I've seen is companies can get anywhere from 10 to 50 million before they have to do any traditional media really at all. And then there's some that can get bigger than that, but then they usually start doing TV and they start doing larger, you know, more complex, I guess you could say more, more 
like multifaceted type of media spends. Yeah, that makes sense. So when when you're when you're first kind of trying to get into this whole thing, um, did you did you know you were gonna grow up and be an entrepreneur? Was that after watching your dad and whatnot? And you said, okay, corporate ladder. Did you kind of fall into this because yeah, well, this seems fun, or was it? Did you make a, a choice to say, you know, I don't want to do this corporate ladder thing. I want to have more freedom, or I want to have more income potential. What was the driving force for you when you decided to start your first business? You know, I never, the, the thought, the romance of entrepreneurship, like never even entered my brain. Like it was never even, even in my lexicon. Um, I was, you know, you know, when I was 19, my, my whole world was if I can get to six figures by age 30 um, and have a stable, secure job that allows me to have a family, then I will be very successful because that's pretty much what my dad did. But then I didn't, what I wasn't calculating is I think he got to hundred grand in his maybe mid thirties, early thirties, but that was in the nineties. Um, so the cost of the dollar, right. Has changed quite a bit. But what happened was, is I was climbing that ladder and I was changing jobs like every year or two, pretty stereotypical millennial, just climbing, 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 using and abusing pretty much every company I worked at to advance myself. And I got, I got, was a social, I was a social media director at 20th Century Fox. And I only lasted there for about three months. I just couldn't hack it. I couldn't keep up with the pace and the speed. Um, I had a, my, we had our first child and I just, I honestly, I just could not compete with people who didn't have kids. Like it was just impossible. I couldn't keep up with the hours and the intensity uh, of that. And, and 20th Century Fox is like notorious for being like that. You know, the other stu- I had friends at other studios that, that it wasn't so crazy, but it, it really put a bad taste in my mouth. It really turned me off because when I was 11, uh, there was, I saw a movie trailer on, on TV and I told my parents, I want to be the guy who advertises for, mo- for movies when I grow what, up. What made you say that at 11 years old? I think most I kids know. want to be in the movies or maybe I, I, run the camera or something, but you're like, I want to advertise the movie. Well, I think I saw my dad worked about 70 hours a week. He'd fly out at like 5am on Monday morning over to Atlanta from Portland every week. And then he'd get back Friday night. So I didn't really see him a lot. He was a great dad, but I didn't see him a lot. So I was like, and he's not a super heavy, like creative guy. He's definitely more of a sales relationship guy. I was super creative, really like music and all that. So I was like, you know, I I need to find something because I I think I'm going to be a salesman, but I need to find something that's like more creative than just being a salesman. And then when, by the time I in college, I realized that um, digital marketing was like the new, new way to sell, be a salesman, right? And in a low pressure way where you didn't have to fly around the whole country because I didn't want to do what he did. So that was kind of the, the route there, you know? Um, but, but, but yeah, that, that was it. Um, so I had a daughter, I got laid off. My dad got Parkinson's and cancer and divorced all in that two year period. And after watching him and everything he went through, right. And, and everything that he did, um, you know, he had this feeling of like, not only did I really like build something that I own, but I grew, he grew a, you know, a billion dollar, helped grow a billion dollar brand, multi-billion dollar brand. And, you know, eventually it's going to end up killing him. And they didn't really, you know what I mean? He just was like, what did I do with my life? Yeah, that's crazy. And like on one level, you're looking at it going, oh, that's really, 
that's successful and you're making all this money or whatever. But from, from the son's perspective, dad's gone all the time and now his health is gone and now the family's gone. And I can see it's like, you know, in hindsight being 2020, it, it might be easier to say, Hey, maybe I should go a different route. But our kids are our hindsight oftentimes, and you get to be that for your father. So you move into something different. Um, I think that's really interesting. Now, what was the very first, uh, how should I say that, like platform that you said, you know, I want to try to get someone's attention. I want to do something online that's advertising or, or, you know, something like that. Did you, did you get into doing some YouTube videos? Did you do some random viral videos with friends or was it straight to business? What was kind of your very first endeavor into trying to get someone to watch or capture eyeballs, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's so funny because I like didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur at all, but when I was in college, when I look back, I was doing entrepreneurial stuff all the time. I started MMA fights, 2000 people showed up and I would give people a free ticket if they invited 200 people on Facebook to the event. What? So you're a fight promoter too? I was a fight promoter. Yeah. I started this fight promotion. (laughs) That's Uh, awesome. It was fully legal. We ran out of an ice hockey rink. We had, um, you know, the Utah boxing commission was there. We had EMTs there. Wow. And yeah. 2000 people showed up. We, we turned like a thousand people away because we couldn't fit them in the venue. It was crazy. And it was like, I was putting lawn signs out. I was flying cars at football games. You know, it was like total guerrilla marketing stuff. That yeah. I, just boots to pavement, just old school getting butts and seats. Yeah. And, and then it was about a year later uh, or maybe two years. Yeah. About a year later, my wife and I, just recorded a video in the car that was kind of a joke and it, and everyone thought it was real and it went super viral. And I, I was just, I, it was a selfie video. I said, Hey, if you're going 80 miles an hour, how long does it take you to go 80 miles? And she did this dumb blonde thing for like 40 minutes, but we get on Tosh.0, good morning, America, real TV. Uh, it was crazy. And, and, um, I was just at like some, um, I, w- I was mar- doing marketing for data loggers in this small town in Utah, like it was not in a sexy job by any means. And Kraft Mac and Cheese reached out to license our video. And it just happened to be the ad agency I had dreamed of working at my, like for years. And that got me an interview and I ended up getting a job there. And uh, a year later, uh, Turkish Airlines walk in, walks in and says, hey, we want to make the most viral ad of all time. And the chief digital officer, Ivan uh, uh, Menderes Perez, uh, I owe pretty much my whole career to him because he just, he looked at me, he's like, this is your shot, man. You're, you're going to do this project. You're not going to include any other departments. We're not going to include any other people. And we're going to go full assassin mode on this thing. And it's going to make a lot of people angry. (laughs) And it, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride. And sure enough, we did it. We, we, we got 650 influencers integrated uh, we, we had 20 interns in different languages, reaching out to 8,000 editors. Well, what does that mean? Having 650,000 influencers integrated? Does that mean they're um, going to help to share this advertisement or yeah, they did a, what we call a shout out. So they did a shout out to the video when it launched and they just drove tons of like organic traffic to it. And that just made the algorithm go nuts. Uh, and we did a really sophisticated ad spend with it. Um, we did Reddit seeding strategies. I mean, we did all sorts of, we paid Facebook groups to post about it. Uh, it was, and it just went nuts. 
you know, it went nuts. It went so huge that no one in that organization or really any organization at the time fully really understood what had just happened. In the organization, in the ad organization or in Turkish airlines? Either, either of them. Like neither of them like fully understood what had just happened. <laughs> so how do you quantify going viral? I think it's a term we use so much. So what, what happened with, uh, with the Turkish airlines video? So it's first off, is it viral? It's I'm sure it's viral uh, worthy. However you might say that it's, was it funny? Was it interesting? It was something that made people actually want to see it. I'm assuming that's a prerequisite. Yeah. I mean, you have Kobe Bryant and Messi, right? You've got a lot of kindling there. However, however, neither Kobe or Messi had ever been in an ad that had gotten over 8 million views on YouTube. And you got to understand, I had a $3 million budget budget to pull this off. And at the time, there was a $3 million spend on uh, a Windows phone ad that was pretty cool that only had 8 million views. So you could have spent the entire budget, not on production, not on anything, just to buy the views. And yeah. So when you went into it with 3 million, was part of that for production for the video? Was part of that paying Kobe, Messi? How, 3 how million that... was just, just the media plan. So wow. we spent a good 800,000 on influencers. We spent a million and a half on ad spend. Um, we spent 50, 60,000 on SEO and seeding. Um, and we spent a few hundred thousand on press outreach. Um, yeah, it was like a very, very like orchestrated, you know, I spent literally four or five months just putting this plan together and it worked, you know, I was pretty shocked how well it worked out and, um, got over 3 million shares at one, you know, can lion gold pre, um, and then there YouTube held a vote, uh, and it was, it was voted the number one ad of the decade. It was kind of like got that moniker. Which the was number really one cool. ad of the decade. Now you had mentioned 8 million views for the phone. Now this ad got, you said 140 million views. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was over 150. And sadly they just took it down um, because I think the, uh, the term licensing uh, likeness term for those guys uh, wore out. So they just took it down, but yeah, it was over 150 million. Can you put that into perspective? Like if, if I, if I have a company and I want to get an ad out there, maybe just to, you know, it's not going to be YouTube. Maybe I'm going to do a Super Bowl ad, right? Or something where I want to get in front of a lot of eyeballs. How much would it cost to get around that many views? Or how many views could you expect to get for $3 million in ad spend? If you're using maybe national television or something to that effect? Yeah, so with $3 million, if you're getting cheap international views, you get 30 million views with that if that's all ad spend. However, if you're more focused on brand lift metrics and higher quality traffic in first world countries, then you're going to be more like five to eight cents per view. And we're talking YouTube, by the way, which is a little more expensive. Then you're going to be, uh, you know, a fifth of that. You're going to be whatever that is, seven, eight million views, 10 million. Wow. Views. So, yeah, okay. And it really eight, depends yeah, on what cents, your cost yeah. per view is. So 10, $12 million to try to get to that level of views for anything that's, wow, that's incredible. So, I mean, we're looking at, that's at least four or five times the return just from using the strategies you used. So exactly. from that, 
Okay. So, okay, good. I, I think I got it right then. So and, from and, that point, yeah. you decide, you know, you're like, okay, well, are, are you like the kind of the, uh, the big chief around town now, or is everyone, everyone patting you on the back going, Oh my gosh, she was this wonder kid. Or was it, you know, Hey, that was yesterday. Today's Monday. What's the next ad? What yeah. was the kind of the positive or negative fallout after the success of the video? You know, so here's, what's so weird. So I didn't get, I didn't really get any um, accolades or attention for it. So like that ad won a Grand Prix, gold, gold Grand Prix can't awards at Cannes. It's pretty much like that's the golden standard of advertising. You can't yes. really win anything bigger than that. My name wasn't anywhere on that because I was on the distribution. I was on the media plan. You didn't create the ad. Yeah. And, and what's crazy is I, wow. I developed the concept like in that in that first meeting with six other creative partnerships, I was like, guys, we really should make a concept around the selfie. It's Oxford Dictionary's word of the year. It's relevant. And we could own this in culture. And this is like the best foundation that we could have. And one of the creative partnerships developed that concept and pitched it. And that, that concept won. But, um, but yeah, there were account, there were account managers that were on, maybe one or two calls for like 20 minutes that, that got on the uh, Grand Prix award. But, you know, to be honest, I didn't care. And, you know, I didn't get a ton of accolades because no one really knew there, there's not like there was any type of platform really for anyone to know that I was behind that. So all of the mileage and momentum I got of that came out of me promoting myself, you know, so networking events. I mean, I don't get any speaking gigs, nothing like that. I had to basically take that and completely promote myself on LinkedIn and in other places. However, it was enough because um, I started Chamber Media that next year and we did 800 grand in our first year and we've doubled in revenue every year since that. That was six years ago. My gosh, that's, that, that's incredible. So 800K your first year doing that. How much of it was reputation? and referral versus, I don't know, call it advertising or, or, you know, going after people. What would you say for that 800K or that first year was because people knew how, how good you were versus you convinced them how good you were? I convinced everyone how good I was. <laughs> uh, if, if you don't hustle you, no one's going to hustle you. The phone wasn't like ringing off the hook. It was what? hitting the pavement and getting out there and going to events and and posting on LinkedIn. And, um, but a lot of our first projects came from, you know, second, third person referrals. So like our first client, I think three months in was from somebody at CPB's uncle, uh, at the agency I was at. So, mm -hmm. you know, there was enough of like a very small groundswell in our niche. And I was able to get enough reach on LinkedIn, you know, even with just 10, 20 likes of posts on LinkedIn, I was reaching at least a few hundred people. And that kind of spread, you know, we got a little Yahoo behind the scenes thing with Yahoo, but it was eight, it was about six months in seven months in when an old college buddy had become marketing director, at icon fitness for the Nordic track brand. And he called me and I pitched a $120,000 production with the concept was to put 50 people on 50 treadmills and make the world's largest treadmill dance, kind of ripping off the okay go thing. And they bought it. And all of a sudden I was producing $120,000 production. I had never, I had no experience to and do this. And this is essentially a commercial you're producing. When you say production, you mean you're doing a video and you're the producer that it's organizing everything on the shoot. 
Yeah. It about killed me. Cause I, I literally had, I had no idea what I was doing. And I mean, I, I was assembling these, these treadmills myself. Took, <laughs> you know you're what the, I mean? Yeah, you're the producer, but you're there with the wrench. I love it. It was crazy, but we got 13 influencers involved in that, in that actual content. And you know, the video only got about 4 million uh, views. We only had like 50, 60,000 in, in the launch spend. However, um, it got over 50 press features. It got in, in a lot of really big features. And then America's Got Talent called and they brought our act onto the show on primetime. We got 7 million primetime viewers for free. Whoa. Yeah. So you mean when you say your act, so you brought on like treadmills onto America's Got Talent and like yeah. did the treadmill dance from the viral video essentially? Yeah. And then we, <laughs> it's epic. The judges moved us on and then they're like, wait a second, all these, tr- all these treadmills have Nordic track logos on them. You can't do that. Our advertisers won't allow that. And so we're like, all right, see ya. Thanks for the free 7 million <laughs> primetime viewers. <laughs> how, did, how did Nordic track feel about that? You know, they were pretty stoked. Um, better be. Yeah. And they, they, you know, we did, we did more stuff with them. We did another project about a year later that did really well, but those two projects in that year span, they did over 7 million in revenue. Um, at least that we could track probably more than that. But that, that was like, um, that, that was a turning point for us because around that time was when virality was starting to really take a hit because Facebook and YouTube were wanting to really monetize their platforms. They want to make people buy ads. Right. And And that's when, so everyone listening, that's when you have a Facebook profile, a Facebook page. And all of a sudden on your Facebook page, you used to get a, you have a million followers or a hundred thousand followers. You used to get a bunch of engagement. All of a sudden it drops because these platforms are saying, no, 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 we're not going to push organic reach. We're not going to push viral reach. We want you to pay to promote your posts. And if you do, then we're going to start putting it out there more and more. So the whole thing changes. How did that affect your business? And did that actually help things because you were doing a combination of strategies or was that a big hit to you? So it was a hit. However, I've always had an ability to prepare, you know, and read the pulse. I mean, when I was, when I was on old Navy, right. Two, two to 8 million page likes, uh, I watched the engagement rate go from 20% to below 1%. So I knew, I knew that it was happening. So, so because of that, on the Nordic track project, we put some calls to actions in there, very light, very gentle, um, which was a no-no, right? If you're trying to make something viral, you don't want there to be any sales or pitch in there at the time. So we wove that in, and that was the only reason it drove revenue. And because it drove revenue, well, now we had a direct response case study. And, and, um, we did a few more viral projects after that. And the virality of course was more and more difficult and it's very hard sell. It's very hard to pitch a brand. We're going to make you a viral ad. So, um, we, we let go of that branch and there was about a three or four month period where we thought we were going to be screwed because we completely changed our pitch to direct response. It's time to make something that sells. That's a heavy pitch. And, so now Let's, you do a YouTube video, there's a pitch, there's an ad, there's a call to action, and it's yeah. all about what's the click-through rate, are people buying, forget about views, it's all about dollars. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And at this time, the only people doing direct response were very like spammy infomercial people. So sure. you're, you got your Ty Lopez. <laughs> Shout yes. out to Ty Lopez, but true. What's up, Ty? But, but king, king of spam, for sure. Um, 
and yeah, you had your six pack abs, you had, you know, and, and everything was about being an influencer. Right. And we had, we, had, I'd say a good half of our revenue that first year was from doing influencer deals, but we noticed that, um, brands were taking that in-house and tech was taking that over. So we stopped doing that. We pivoted fully into, okay, we're going to spend a dollar and we're going to make $3. And this is direct response game. And I'm so glad we did that because everyone who stayed in that viral space got completely destroyed. They, they all went under, they got completely destroyed. When you had so much too, where like, uh, and even in the last few years, you've seen this whole influencer game change drastically where now, you know, it went for, Hey, I have a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Or they have 1.3 million followers on Instagram, but then some of the companies weren't looking at the engagement and the likes, comments, shares. Are these really people following? Because it used to be, I don't know what, what year that was, Travis, but I remember, you know, when someone had a million followers on some social media platform, you go, Oh my gosh, who is this person? Yeah. And now it's like, well, my grandma's cat has a million followers. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and it's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah. But, but it was about that engagement thing change. So would you say it sounds like a lot of people kind of got caught uh, with the pants down, so to speak, with yeah, that's paying influencers and they weren't getting engagement because of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect way to put it. And, and I, um, you know, you know how it is, Matt, you always look at your career and you look what you've done and you never feel like you've, you did as much as you could have and you compare Dang. yourself to others, you know, but I don't I, do that. And never at all. I actually, every you know, day go you're, on. You're just a saint. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so, yeah, what a trap, but yes. But I've looked at, to your point, I've seen so many people go huge in about an eight month, 12 month period and then tank because they build their businesses on the algorithms. They build their businesses on the audiences, but they don't have real legitimate businesses. They don't have multiple products, multiple services, multiple offerings. They're depending on ad revenue or they're monetizing a temporary um, loophole in an algorithm. Gotcha, yeah. And so we really made a legitimate, sustainable business and we passed on a lot of big opportunities to make quick cash and man, I am so glad we did that because, uh, like you said, a lot of those influencers, you know, um, a lot, a lot of them are toast now that didn't really, that weren't real entrepreneurs. And I've heard some of them explain it as if it's, it's like being on a hundred million dollar yacht that has a hole in it. Wow. Yeah. So like you're on a yacht, you've gotten used to being on this yacht, but it's slowly sinking you know, and so, yeah, so the, it's, it's going away at some point. So as we, as we kind of get into the, the last uh, chapter so far in our conversation, I know I got to let you go pretty soon before I do. Um, what are we looking at today? So if I'm, you know, most of the people listening right now, you guys are entrepreneurs, a lot of solopreneurs, startups, kind of early phase people, what should we be looking at for um, video for ad like with everything you've seen so far and all the successes on both sides, what should the startup or kind of, I don't know, call it maybe the under half million dollar revenue entrepreneur be looking at how should they be leveraging video properly to get the best, whether it's bang for the buck or the best traction? Should we still be trying to get, you know, good organic views out in videos? Should we, what should we do? Yeah. So I've been preaching this for about three years and you've got to pay to play. Facebook and YouTube have shareholders they have, they've already dominated the scene. So now they're monetizing as aggressively as possible. If you do not pay the people in charge, they will 
you will get crushed. And so you, you cannot build a company based on an organic audience alone. You can't just rank on Google. You can't just rank on Amazon and think that that's going to last forever because it won't. I have friends that have gotten first ranking on Amazon and they had no type of paid acquisition, nothing. And um, they lost their ranking because some of their competitor outspent them um, driving traffic and they lost everything. I have friends who've gone bankrupt from doing that. So, and I, I, I we've proven this. Um, I've got some good examples. Transparent Labs, we started working with two years ago, two and a half years ago. He He got... A lot of good organic rankings, um, and he was doing two million. Uh, he did two million the year before he worked out with us through affiliates and an organic ranking. He hired us because he was intuitive enough to know that he needed a re- replicable, sustainable paid acquisition strategy. Six months in, um, six months in, we were already doing. We took him to a million a month. And he was putting 100 to 150,000 a month profit in his pocket. And we did that for two and a half years straight. He just got acquired actually by one of our other clients. And, um, and six months in, there was a Google update. He lost those rankings and he lost a lot of those affiliates. He would have basically lost his company overnight. But instead, he kept charging at a million a month and you know put a couple of million in his pocket and then got bought out for 10 million after two years. That's so incredible. That and just understanding like the risk of, you know, we talk in entrepreneurship a lot about how having a job can be a bigger risk than starting a business because you only have one client. And if they change direction and you get fired, that's that. Whereas when you're an entrepreneur, you can have many, many clients, many, many sources of paychecks. You're saying the same thing essentially here, where if you have a big social media following or you have a great organic reach, like if you rely on that, it's just as you're at the whim of Google decides to change. And on this radio show and podcast, we just had, you know, iTunes, Apple just made a big change. They split iTunes for music, uh, Apple Music now, and then uh, Apple Podcasts for all the podcasts. Massive platform change. And all of a sudden, listeners find things differently. The whole thing has shifted. And if all of my business was built on one thing, just reaching people through the show, that will be a massive setback. So you're bringing in advertising everywhere you go. And when you said, I just want to clarify, when you said, um, how many, uh, 1 million a month and putting 152 in his pocket, does that mean you're spending about 800 K a month in ads and the business is taking 200 or was that after ads and cost of goods and expenses? He was netting that. He was netting that. So we were getting about a five to one return on ad spend. Okay. So for about a million dollars in revenue driving, you were spending like 200 K in ads. And then yep. after his cost of goods sold and after expenses, still having a 20% profit margin ish. Yes, exactly. Man, that's and incredible. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. It's, it's rare, right? I'd say it's top 30, 30th percentile of accounts we've worked on, you know, and it's, it's interesting too, because the return on ad spend itself was maybe a two, two and a half to one. Um, but once you, once we compared overall spend to overall revenue, cause you can't track everything, right. And you've got Google search, you've got direct search, you got a lot of these things. Then all of a sudden it was like at a three or four to one. Then when we factored in email, the email blast to customers sure. and we realized that the reorder rate had gone from 10% up to 30%. Then we started to factor in the lifetime value. And all of a sudden we realized 
holy cow, for every dollar we spend, we get $5 back. And the first two months were ROI negative, you know? Um, and we were about a $50,000 a month spend those first two months. It was ROI negative, And it was that third month where it really started to turn. And it was that fourth month where the reorders started to kick in. And that's when it started to really get supercharged. Um, but what's so interesting is he kind of stopped investing in creative because it's like, you know, you, he has no employees. He's making a hundred, anywhere from 80,000 to 180, 200,000 a month profit, depending on the month. So it's really hard to, to reinvest in creative and, and keep making it bigger and bigger. So he kind of stopped investing in creative and the new owners now are investing in new creative and we're taking it to the next level. But what's so interesting is we have another client called named called Mr. Cool. And we took them, they're very similar story. They were doing 10 million a year off of Google shopping and some organic stuff. And we took them to 36 million and, and um, 36 million a year. What's so interesting is they've continued to invest in creative. We actually made a line chart comparing the two and um, where Transparent Labs stopped investing in new creative and Mr. Cool continued, it, it, that's where they diverge. So Transparent Labs kind of like plateaus at that million a month. And that's where Mr. Cool jumped up to three, four million a month. And that, that trajectory is just, in, in, it just continues to go up and up and up. And what's really crazy is Mr. Cool gets only about a two to one return on ad spend. But by the time we factor sales lifts from all the online retail channels and Amazon and the website, it's a 20 to one ROI. So for every dollar we spend on Mr. Cool, we get $20 back. And, Incredible. and that, it's really crazy to see. And I, I think we're going to take them to 70, 80 million this year. And they're going to be kind of starting to get into that like Dollar Shave Club, Harry's, um, you know, those really big D2C companies, uh, I think I think we're going to get them into that that trajectory here pretty soon. Travis, uh, you do. I mean, this is awesome. I'm also, as you're saying that, I'm looking over at your website. It's chamber.media. You want to see, I, I don't find a lot of people that are combining both things. Like you have hit after hit after hit of, of videos that are just interesting to watch. You got a, a guy that's, it looks like an ape hiding in an ice, uh, an ice cake. You got to see this, man. So chamber.media, uh, not.com, but chamber.media, you'll see case study after case study, but mo- the most interesting videos. And then you're also managing the ad spend and, uh, and watching the funnels from real dollars and cents and real conversions from the videos. So this is the kind of thing, if you want, you know, those purple mattress style commercials, you want, you know, the same thing that 1-800-Flowers uses, uh, poopery. I saw that on there. That's awesome. So, you know, we got some poopery in the house uh, for the bathroom <laughs> yeah. and everyone, you know, th- these, these, uh, um, these videos and these companies, they use some really funky, cool stuff that gets you hooked and, and makes you want to watch and you stay. And then ultimately it causes a conversion and you're doing everything f- from the beginning to the end. So Travis, tell them, uh, do a little plug. Where can they find out more about you? And if, if you want to see if, or the right size, or the right kind of company for you. Uh, what do we need to find out? Yeah, uh, yeah. Just like you said, www.chamber.media is a great place to check out our work. And then I'm really active on LinkedIn, and so I post there a few times a week with all sorts of cool stuff there. Um, also, could you know connect on Twitter, Travis underscore Chambers. 
Um, but yeah, we, we have a, a contact form on our website and I get all of those contacts. So if you, if you choose to reach out that way, I'll, I'll be able to see the info. There you go. Schedule a discovery call and Travis will see it personally. This is epic. Well, Mr. Chambers, thank you for your time and your creativity and just everything you're doing here. Uh, we appreciate it. And thanks for sharing your wisdom with us today. Hey, thank you, Matt. All right, guys, that's the show for this week, man. Travis Chambers, what a legend. Remember, check out uh, chambers.media and then you can follow Travis on all his social media. Look for Travis Chambers, LinkedIn. I think it's Travis Allen, A-L-L-E-N, Chambers. But go on to LinkedIn, search Travis Chambers, Travis Chambers Media. You'll see all the cool stuff they do. Um, thanks for listening. Get out there this weekend. You know, it's Friday right now as you're listening to this or whatever day you're getting it, if it's on demand. Um, but get out there, enjoy yourself, but really start thinking about how can I get more video content into what I'm doing? And maybe you're at the place where it is time to scale. Maybe it is, you are at the place where it's time to get some real, you know, spend a dollar, make three or spend a dollar, make five. You might not think you're the person or you're at the place where you're ready to start doing some advertising, but you might also shock yourself. So find out more with Travis Chambers. And then make sure you follow me at Matt Browning. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. All those places where you can get cool things and see me and my life. And I always put up stuff about our guests, about my kid, about the dog. If you want to see pictures of my wiener dog being really silly, go on to my Instagram at Matt Browning. And there you go. Get out this weekend and crush it. I'll see you next week with another awesome Driven Entrepreneur. Bye-bye.